be reading Psalm 43. So, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your life and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, my God, my God. Uh, my, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen. Thanks, uh, Robert uh, and uh, class. Um, thanks, uh, Ilse, as well, for reading. Um, if you haven't met me before, I'm Andres, one of the uh, elders at the church. And, um, and welcome to our summer series, uh, Songs for Summer or as Latvians might call it, Songs for Summer. Um, we're, and we're looking at a variety of psalms, um, and, uh, and, and it's great to look at psalms, um, because uh, when life uh, can look bad, into, uh, as we read in today's psalm, um, we can rely on God's track record, and we can rely on God being faithful, despite the fact that we can have a lot of hurt deep inside. Now, I know there's also a group that meet together at, uh, at, at Grace International that uh, likes memorizing scripture. And Psalms is really excellent for that. Um, I remember a Canadian preacher, Don Carson, saying that he taught his children uh, to remember Psalms because he said, when times are difficult and times are tough, the words of the Psalms can be a huge uh, reminder of God's goodness and God's sovereignty in those times. And so before we start our series as well, another thing that I thought would be important to think about is when we read, uh, when we heard today's psalm read, we see that the, the psalmist flip between pain and hope and pain and hope. Now, I mean, aren't these psalmists meant to be so super spiritual? Aren't they meant to really be in tune with God? Like, if I was writing the Bible, I wouldn't want to put in these bits where people are calling God to account or saying, God, how can you do this? But realistically, when we think about this, we have a God who actually understands us. He wants to listen to us. He is happy to listen to us where we're at. Whether we are broken, whether we are hurt, whether we are angry, whether you we are in pain. Like our Father, He calls us to His knees and wants to listen and comfort us. So with that in mind, let's start on Psalm 43. But before we start, I wanted to ask, does anyone like board games? <coughs> now, board games can bring out the best and the worst <laughs> in people. Uh, now, I know... Unfortunately, this is my confession for today, board games bring out the worst in me. Uh, firstly, because I hate to lose. So I will use every psychological trick in the book to try to wear down everyone else. The second thing is, I am a stickler for the rules. 
So when people start inventing rules or changing rules, it makes me so angry. Um, I just think it is so unfair. Even if someone is losing, you should not change the rules for that person. I know it's compassion, but there are rules out there for a reason. So I love the idea of playing board games, but I try to avoid them so that people don't see this uh, wonderful part of my personality coming out. However, life is different. We sometimes can't avoid unfairness and frustration. We sometimes can't avoid the people who break the rules, who get to power through unscrupulous methods. We sometimes can't avoid people who frustrate us or make us really angry, whether it be at work or at uni or even in our own family. But today's psalm has an answer for us that are frustrated with bureaucracies and pair mal pair and the unfairness sometimes of life and how people get away with terrible acts, whether it just be meanness or whether it's bombing hospitals with children. So turn to me now to Psalm 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. The psalmist is crying out for justice. He wants to be vindicated, that is shown right or justified. It seems that the only one that can bring about this justice is God himself. He needs God in his corner. But who is doing this wrong? Who is, who is not believing in him? It is an unfaithful nation. The psalmist feels that he relies and trusts and worships God. But the whole nation is glorifying in, his, in its sin. It's not just getting away with it. It seems to be prospering in its sin whilst the author is suffering. The author wants God to save him. It's not a minor inconvenience. It's not a small thing. And it's important to realise how is the author talking to God? He talks to him as my God. This phrase, which is repeated several times through the psalm, shows that there is a personal and deep relationship with the psalmist and God. But who is able to save him from this evil nation? Verse 2. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? The The psalmist reiterates that he trusts in God as a great wall surrounding him. God is his stronghold and his protection. It's not his skills, it's not his intelligence, it's not who he knows or who he is connected to, it's not an army or weapons. His protection comes from God, our God. However, he is in tears, he feels alone and is sobbing and cries out to God. He feels the oppression of the enemies all around him. Do you ever feel distant from God like this? Do you ever feel worn out, tired, and feel like God has abandoned you? Now, 
A couple of weeks ago, Anders pointed out that we're part of the Reformed Church. Now, some of you think that the Reformed guys can be quite dry and that they need to put the fun back in the fundamental. <laughs> Maybe they're not quite as exciting and emotional as our charismatic brothers and sisters. I mean, you can really feel the vibe in those churches and the emotion. Now, you can experience your feelings. Joy, happiness, sadness. You see, feelings are great. God gives us feelings. God himself feels love and jealousy and anger. Jesus wept and felt sorrow. However, feelings can change in our lives. We can feel over the moon one day and totally under the weather the next. It is our faith in God's word and his promises that anchors us in those times. Feelings aren't wrong, but we can't always trust them. At the point of despair, the psalmist reminds himself of the facts. For him, it was the fact that God saved the whole Israelite nation continually. For us, it's the fact that Jesus felt what you feel and died for your sin. That he loves you intimately and wants you to be part of his bride, the church, for all eternity. You see, when we are down, we can decide to focus on God's promises. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we read, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So we need to have our facts straight so that we are reminded of God's hand when we feel on top of the world. And similarly, we can speak scripture into our own lives when we are feeling down. A second reason for feeling distant from God is sometimes being tired and thirsty and hungry. Tired because we don't meditate on his word enough. Hungry because we don't feast on the bread of life and thirsty because we don't drink deeply from the water that cures thirst. Don't neglect God's word and prayer in your life. Don't neglect meeting together. Make Jesus your number one priority in life. However, a third reason for feeling distant may be some unrepentant sin. In Psalm 66, verse 18, we read, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Similarly, in Isaiah 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Is the distance that you feel from God, perhaps because you're battling some sin in your life. Now, I don't mean a bunch of stuff that you see in other people. <laughs> I don't mean, oh, wouldn't it be good if my friend heard this and was challenged by this? What are you cherishing in your heart that might be keeping you distant from God? Because Jesus is always politely knocking at the door. Come to God. Fall on your knees, repent, change, make amends. Don't let sin separate you from God. 
Some of us here today are maybe feeling distant from God. Which one of those three reasons or combination might apply? Don't fight it alone. Talk to me or one of the other elders or Pastor Andis. We are a family of believers. So how can the psalmist be saved and vindicated in such hard circumstances? Verse 3. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Our psalmist asks for God's light and faithful care, or as in some translations, truth. It is light that illuminates what is good and causes evil to crawl away in the darkness. But what exactly does the psalmist seek when he seeks light? God does light up what is good. Light leads us like the pillar of fire led the Israelites through the, uh, through the desert at night. Light brings out truth and hope and shows us God's glory, but it forces evil to move away as well. In John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, we read, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. People can naturally love darkness to hide their true hearts. But in light, evil has no foothold. Spurgeon summarised this by saying, We seek not light to sin by, nor truth to be exalted by it, but that we may become our practical guides, uh, they may become, sorry, our practical guides to the nearest communion with God. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to God's light as his word and his disciples going out. So in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, we read, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to reflect God's light into the world. We are to be to other person-centred, to serve. So the psalmist realises that God cares for him, always has and always will. God will be faithful no matter what life throws at him. But where can God bring the psalmist so that he is safe and cared for? He can be brought to God's holy mountain, the temple where God dwells, a place where everything is right and safe. And what will he do in this place of safety? Verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, O God, 
my God. The altar of God. That's, that's a little bit weird for us, isn't it? Well, you see, at the altar, the psalmist found both justice and salvation. On the altar, humans could atone for their sin. A lot of blood had to be spilt for our sin. God used to teach us that our sin deserves a sacrifice to make it right. It deserves a blood sacrifice because God is a God of justice. Yet the altar also shows us God's salvation. Where once, uh, where once there would be sacrifice to take away our sin, we can now come to God atoned with our sin taken away. The altar becomes a place of praise because it's a tool that God shows us about his character, a character of justice and a character of grace. So do you find joy and delight in God? God doesn't want us to go just through the motions, to go to Sunday and Bible study during the week. He wants us to delight in him. John Piper, an American preacher, puts it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God does not want us to come to him because of our fear or our duty or our guilt. He wants us to find joy and delight in him. Similarly, when we find joy and delight in our friends or our spouse, they know that we love them. So too, God wants a relationship with us, a relationship with our loving Father. And as we find our salvation, our light, and we see God's faithfulness and feel the joy and delight that that brings, what else can we do but praise him? And so too we sing in church to worship our God and to encourage each other and build each other up. And so finally, we have the psalm's conclusion. The psalmist brings it all together. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Although I hate the phrase in Christian circles, the psalmist is reminding us that sometimes we need to fake it till we make it. He knows his hope is in God, intellectually, but he's stuck in his grief and his sadness. He knows that his soul doesn't need to be disturbed, yet he feels deep anxiety and pain. What do you do when you feel like you're going through the motions and aren't feeling the joy and delight in God? Should you take a break from church? Based on God's promises, God's steadfast love, the psalmist knows that there is always light at the end of the tunnel. He will soon again feel the right relationship with his Saviour and his God. 
he will once again be able to praise God. He reminds us not to give up. The psalmist tells us not to give up, even when we are hurting deeply inside. The psalmist's circumstances have not changed, but he is working hard with God to change his own attitude. So what should we do after a difficult exam week, when we are tired on Sunday? Put your hope in God and go to church, where you can learn and serve others. What should you do when work is piling up and you feel overwhelmed by the wave of stress and anxiety? Go along to Bible study, contribute, pray with your brothers and sisters, and help others in their suffering. What should you do when you feel distant and your Bible reading and prayer feels mechanical? Put your hope in God and don't let go of him. Don't let the devil help you to rationalise reasons to not pray or not give 100% even when your mind is wandering. Don't give up the good fight. Don't let go of your saviour especially when you feel the weight of life pulling you down. He has called you to his arms. He has called you to be in fellowship with other believers. He has called you to praise him. His promises are a sure seal, better than any apostille seal at the immigration office. But I hear you ask, Andre, of course it's not perfect in Latvia, but it's great. You know, mate, it's not like in Australia where there are snakes and sharks and crocodiles and droughts and floods all trying to kill you. I mean, people don't need saving here. You see, the worst killers in life are the silent killers. I remember uh, studying an OHS subject, and the presenter there was telling us uh, about boilermakers and how they would have to get into these really big vats. And they would climb in and clean them out. But unfortunately in this incident, this vat for some reason did not have enough oxygen in it. And the first guy climbed in and fainted. His mate saw his, 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 uh, his friend fall and quickly climbed in after him. He too fell. The manager, thinking, oh my goodness, what's happened, jumped in. And unfortunately, all three of them died. All three realised too late that they needed saving. So your friends that find happiness in going out with a night on the town, they're climbing into that vat. Your mate at work or at university that has a career as their only driving force and thinks that their fulfilment will come from more money and status, they're climbing into the vat. At the mum's club or the singles that so need to be married above everything else and think all their problems will go away just once they are married, they're climbing into the vat. Hobbies, control, diets, drug, drugs, alcohol, sex, the perfect body, None of these can save you from the vat. You need your saviour 
to take your arm and pull you out. Mm. So what does the psalmist do? He comes to God honestly, laying down his hopes and his pain to a God that wants to listen, to a God who is his stronghold. The psalmist remembers God's words. He comes to God in prayer and asks for light. He asks for truth when he is surrounded by lies and deception. He desires a right relationship with God to be in his presence. He remembers that true hope is in God himself, his saviour. And so, the only true answer for salvation for us comes from Jesus, which leads us to another way of looking at the psalm. So although the Jews may not at the time seen Jesus in a psalm, he's there for us to find. Jesus was hung on a cross, wrongly accused, as the whole nation around him laughed and mocked him. But he didn't cry for vindication. He cried for the forgiveness of those that were putting him on the cross. Jesus himself is God's light and truth. In John 8.12 we read, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus is our light. He is faithful when we wander. He loves us when we falter. And when we feel distant from God, he carries us. He patiently waits for us to repent. He bears us through trials. He comforts us that we may uh, seek comfort elsewhere. So where did the psalmist find refuge? The psalmist found refuge at God's altar. And so now we see what the altar and the sacrificial system were pointing to all along. We see that it was fulfilled in Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, once and for all, for all our sins. It couldn't just be any animal. It couldn't just be any man. It had to be God himself who took on our sins to show that God's character is a character of both justice and grace. In Hebrews 13, 10 to 15, we read, We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of Praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Mm -hmm. 
The difference is, through Jesus, we don't need to continually sacrifice animals because Jesus was our ultimate sacrifice. Through Jesus, we look forward to an enduring city that is yet to come. Just like the psalmist at the altar, Jesus' sacrifice calls us to praise the fruit of our lips by openly professing his name. We are called to praise our Saviour who died so that we may live and who came back from the dead so that he may rule at the right hand of God. So when we feel exiled, when we are hurting, when we feel depressed, or when we feel like the whole world is on our shoulders, remember that God brought his nation through the desert to the promised land. And he too will bring you out just as God brought his people out. And he will bring you to an enduring city, our promised destination, our true home. So through Jesus, we have a hope when you feel hurt. Remind yourself, just like the psalmist in Psalm 43, that our hope is in our God and our Saviour, in Jesus Christ, who freely offers you this hope. So find your joy and your hope in him and praise him. Praise your Saviour. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are faithful through all of life's circumstances. Help us in our dark times and our troubled times to remember that you are our God that your love and sacrifice is, is enough for us when life is difficult and we are hurting. Comfort us and comfort those at church who are hurting currently and bring us through with the care and hope that only you can provide. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.